welcome to Radical Math Talk, the podcast dedicated to the revolutionaries in math education. I'm your host, Kwame Sarfamensa, and on this podcast, I will highlight the incredible educators who are reshaping, redefining, and decolonizing the way that math education is taught in our schools. In other words, this will not be your typical math podcast. My goal is to center the stories and hidden truths that will not only ignite a cultural paradigm shift in math education, but more specifically, explore the multiple ways in which math can be used as a vehicle for social justice and anti-racist solidarity. So if you are ready for a math revolution like no other, then sit back, relax, and lend me your ears as we embark on this journey together. Enjoy the show. Welcome to a brand new episode of Radical Math Talk, the show for the revolutionaries in math education. I'm your host, Kwame Salfamensa. If this is your first time tuning in to the podcast, I welcome you and I hope that you'll come back for future episodes if you like what you see today. And if you are a returning listener or viewer of the podcast, I welcome you back and I hope that today's episode is one that you find informative, enlightening, and of course, insightful. So before we get to the main event, if you are on YouTube, please hit that red subscribe button so you can get future notifications of episodes of both the Radical Math Talk podcast and our flagship podcast, Identity Talk for Educators Live. We also accept any monetary donations that will help us continue to build on the Identity Talk platform. So if you are on Cash App, uh, the handle will be money sign id talk for ed and if you're on venmo it will be at kwame sm so that's k-w-a-m-e-s-m thank you kindly so um as always we bring some phenomenal guests onto this podcast and today today's guest is um no different from the ones we've brought on uh she is somebody who I've been following on Instagram for a while, and I'm always locked in to math educators because that's my jam, and that's why we have this podcast. But she is someone who doesn't have the quote-unquote traditional look of a math teacher. You know, she you know, toots her own horn. She is somebody who pretty much defies what we consider to be the norm when it comes to what a math educator should look like, how they should conduct themselves, how they should show up in the space. And, you know, she is north of the border um, out in Toronto, Canada. So shout out to the six. Toronto is actually one of my favorite places to go and visit. Always a good time there. But uh, without further ado, I want to bring on the self-proclaimed Lady Gaga of math education, Miss Vanessa Vicaria, to the podcast. Hello. Oh, my God. That introduction was so hype. I was... Did I say the last name correctly? First of all, you said it perfectly. I was like, what's yeah. he going to do? What's he going to say? Also, I mean... I'm dying. It was just such a good intro. I want you to like follow me around as my hype man, maybe one day. Hey, I, I mean, just, 
I try to do everybody justice here. I, I would be your myself. hype woman. Like I would hype you up back. I just feel like we could have like a road show just hyping each other up. <laughs> nah, for sure. But yeah, this I, I'm just excited to have you on. Um, first off, I love you. I love your content. Wow. Um, I, I love how you represent in the math space in particular. You just kind of go with your own vibe. You know what I mean? And and also, it's it just cool. I just feel like Canadians are like the friendliest people. I feel like every Canadian I've interviewed on any of these podcasts has just been like a real friendly, amicable, just light conversation. So I know that today's <laughs> going to be like no other. <laughs> oh my God, that's really good to hear, actually. I think you take things for granted when you, you know, are around them so often. And it's, Sometimes I get very like, oh, people in Toronto are so mean. And then I hear someone say Canadians are so nice. And I'm like, you know what? We have it pretty good. My idea of mean is like not really that mean, to be honest. Mm. So. Right. But I mean, we think about the, we think about it. I, you know, I just feel like you got to just get to know folks. Yeah. You know, when you get in front of them um before you make any judgments so for me totally. like, i've had enough of a sample size to know yes. that, right there is a trend here that i think is legitimate <laughs> i love it i love this i love that you're already talking math sample size let's go i was gonna do a mean joke you know mean as an average oh but, my god you know, i was about to i was gonna throw a mean one in there but you know well big mess there'll be more time to we have a lot of time puns in there Lots of math puns. Okay, let's go. I'm ready. I'm ready thinking All about right. So um, we always like to start the podcast with the mathography. So usually when I have a new class of students come in, I have them write their mathography. So this is just an autobiography of their math journey in school, starting from when they are in kindergarten all the way through to where they are now. So for most of my career, I've taught middle school, seventh eighth graders now i'm teaching high school and before the start of curriculum any like major math stuff we're doing the mathography so on this podcast this is the opportunity for our guests to just share their math journeys from the time they were young through their k-12 years college years all the way through to their years as educators like how has your love for math evolved or change over time. So just give us the rundown. I'll give you the floor. I just love this whole idea, first of all. Like, I'm just like, you are, this is genius level stuff. Like, I really do believe, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but I believe that math, um, everyone has a relationship with math, you know, like, and, and we never address that in math classrooms normally, right? You're normally just like, great, let's get to the curriculum. But this idea of a mathography really, I mean, even I'm excited. I'm like, oh my God, my journey, like how is my relationship with math evolved? I can't wait to talk about it. So I love that you're doing this, number one. Number two, I will tell you my mathography, which, um, to be honest, I have very few memories about math um, before high school. Like I really just don't remember. I have one memory actually. And the memory is in grade three, I was in Mr. Dawson's class and I forgot my calculator that we, you know, we were supposed to do some in-class work with a calculator and I forgot my calculator and I couldn't do it. And I said to Mr. Dawson, 
I'm going to use this time as a time to practice um, my mental math skills. You know, I can't use a calculator. And I remember he was so proud of me. And even though I wasn't doing the assignment correctly, right, like that was not the assignment, he was like, really, he made it clear that he really appreciated that I was taking an innovative approach to the math work ahead of me. And even though I wasn't going to be doing the assignment, quote, unquote, right, I was still going to be doing math in some way. And that, I, for some reason, that's, that's actually my only memory of math before grade 10 was that one salient moment. And actually, I've never even talked about that moment. But thinking about it now, I'm like, I think that actually is so important that he didn't care that I was doing it wrong. What he cared about was that I was doing math. So that's that one moment. And then fast forward to high school where my next memory was me failing grade 11 math over and over again. Um, because I mean, I just wanted to be a rock star and marry Keanu Reeves, which are still my dreams right now to this day. So Let me stop you. Um, so are you talking Bill and Ted Keanu Reeves oh. or... Such a good question. Matrix Keanu Reeves or yeah. I would say like the Keanu who I have always loved and known has never changed. He, it is sitting on a park bench eating a sandwich Keanu. It is sharing his subway seat with someone Keanu. It is speed Keanu. I did fall in love with him after speed. That was my first introduction to him, but like it's so funny because we can see that I was obviously right, right? Like we all know he is an angel on earth and everyone at the time was more Brad Pitt than Keanu. But I was like, no, 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 I'm team Keanu and I still am. And he's still not married and there's still hope. So send out that vibe for me. Any any more questions about that? No, just, just curious. <laughs> it's a very important point and I'm glad you bring it up. So I was in high school, failing math, wanting to move to Hollywood. I failed grade 11 math twice. The third time I took it in summer school, I got a 57 and my parents were like, babe, that's really cool that you want to go find Keanu in Hollywood and be the next Britney Spears, but you really need to get it together and graduate from high school. And they sent me to this alternative school that was like this school in an office building. It was like so not traditional education. There were a hundred kids in the whole school. I walked into grade, my grade 12 math class and I said to my math teacher, Eva, who I'm still best friends with today, I was like, you're going to have a really tough time with me. I'm not a math person. And she was like, sorry. And I was like, I'm not a math person. And she looked at me and said the words that would forever change my life, which were, that's not a thing. And it changed everything for me. I got a 98 in math that year. I just, it changed my life. I was empowered. I was like, oh my God, this lie I've been told about not being a math person because I'm artsy and creative and want to be a singer. That, you know, that was always the narrative. Oh, you're more of an artsy person. You're not really a math person. So when I was failing math, I thought it was just like a genetic thing. That narrative had been changed for me in that one moment by Eva and it really changed. So, I mean, the, the quick story after that of my mathography is I began getting super excited about math. When I was faced with a problem, I didn't shut down. I opened up. I was like, oh my God, I know I have the capacity to solve it. I started tutoring everyone in my class. I like, it was just a whole eye-opening thing. And I ended up not pursuing math. I actually 
went into a commerce program. Um, but I took first year calculus and I got a hundred percent. And I, I didn't even, I, I just, I loved it. I loved math. I would stay up till like six in the morning. Like, you know, I had really bad study habits. So I would pull all nighters and like, you know, get really into this math zone. And I found it so meditative and I was super into it. And I tutored in university and I just, I felt like I had this like new lease on life. Like I was like, oh my God, I've been told I can't do this thing. And it turns out like I have a superpower. And um, I ended up like after doing a bunch of things, I ended up, I was like, you know what? I've always liked teaching math. I'm going to go to teacher's college, ended up in teacher's college, ended up doing my practicum teaching math hated being in the classroom because I have zero classroom management skills. Like I cannot yell at someone to save my life or discipline literally anyone. It's just not my thing. Um, and I, I started tutoring just to make money for a trip to India. And the next thing I knew, um, it was 10 years later and I have 40 tutors working for me and I own a math studio called the math guru and have become a huge advocate for like inclusion and diversity in math and changing these stereotypes about, you know, telling kids they're not math people because math people don't exist. And that I had, I had that moment. I was so lucky to have someone in my life who flipped the switch for me. And I just want to do it for everyone. The end. Wow. <laughs> Great story. And I, I find it hard to believe that you would have struggles with oh. management because just Horrible. In the few minutes, you know, we've been engaging, I can envision you being like just the dopest math teacher. Cause you, uh, you just, know what? You and that's so nice. I yeah. I think I think I am, but the problem is I am a huge people pleaser. So like I really don't like people being mad at me. I mean, I've been working on that, but I could not get a kid in trouble. Like honestly, this was this was I remember this moment. I was teaching grade 10 math. And I was literally standing at the front of the class saying, guys, please just pay attention. It's so hard to be up here. And I had this crew of girls who loved me and they would turn around and yell at the class and say, guys, listen to Miss B, leave her alone. She's really trying. And I'd be like, thanks guys. Like I, I, I was, I just, you need to, you know, it's not that you need to yell at kids or something like no, that. You should you have, have to know. No, but you have to let them know that like, you're in charge and they're, you know, they've got to listen to you. And sometimes you've got to be stern and shut things down. And I just like, I would get all stressed out. I hate confrontation. It was just, I'm just not good at it. It's not my, I mean, it's not my skill set at all. Well, I mean, at least you, you recognize that. Yeah. I was just saying, I believe you have the ability. So this is going back to this idea of, uh, you know, having a growth mindset, which sure. you alluded, which you alluded to about, oh, like I'm not a math person. Totally. And I feel like this is a message that I feel like everybody gets. We all got this when we were going through school. Um, I certainly know I did. Um, I just felt like people were just born with this yeah. math ability, with this math ability that's just innate, right? I just thought that that was the case. Mm -hmm. But when I became a math teacher, I realized, no, through building your capacity, through, you know, learning algorithms, building up on your conceptual, but also by having a teacher who has the flexibility to adapt their practices yeah. in order to reach you, someone who's not rigid and is just going to say, listen, just here, go ahead and follow this algorithm. 
go ahead and follow this formula and go run with it. No, like if that traditional path doesn't work for you, I'm going to create another plan Mm -hmm. outside of the box that's going to get you to that destination. And I don't feel like enough teachers are willing to do that. And I think it just comes back to just this idea of like what of what math pedagogy should look like. Right. And and to be like, that is so amazing. And of course, I really do believe in all the work I do with teachers. Like, sure, that like, and truthfully, actually, what you're saying is why I chose one-on-one tutoring. You know, you're right. I could develop the skills. I'm not like, oh my God, I can't be a teacher. I can't discipline people. I could, but I realized quickly what I really wanted to do is be able to do exactly what you're talking about. I wanted to sit with a student and say, you're really into watching like 90210 or Grey's Anatomy. And I'm going to make you word problems about that show so that you can get interested. Like I wanted to be able to zone in to to what a student wanted. And the truth is, it is so hard. I feel for teachers like in a classroom of 35 kids, like that's very hard to do. You know, teachers are famously under-resourced and underpaid and it's so tough. And I know teachers want to do that. And I completely applaud all those efforts. I just like, it's hard, right? You have an opportunity one-on-one with a student that you don't have in a classroom. Yes. It's, it's very difficult as someone that's, you know, been through that ringer, um, for many, many years, um, it's hard because you want to provide that kind of instruction that's engaging. Yeah. That's going to bring everybody along. But at the same time, you have these different forces that are being imposed upon you in your classroom. There's the standardized testing. Totally. No, there's the push for you to have to accelerate your pacing of the curriculum in order to get students prepared for these tests that ultimately don't really hold a lot of leverage at the end of the day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Honest, but um, you still have to prepare for them anyway because that ties to your teacher evaluation. So I don't know if there's a similar thing that goes on um, in schools throughout Canada, um, but I just know that in the States, that's yeah. that really puts a lot of pressure on not just math teachers, but teachers in general. For sure. We, we do have like, it's, you know, the system is a bit different, but we do have something called the EQAO that is similar for math and for literacy where our teachers have to do that. And, and again, too, like, I mean, that's a whole other topic, right? Because I know this isn't, this isn't, we're not just talking about assessment, but you're kind of like, oh, your hands are tied between having to do the assessment that is required, that actually doesn't demonstrate what you're trying to accomplish in your classroom and actually helping students feel good about succeeding, which anyways, it is definitely so tough. Our hands are often tied with red tape in the classroom and that's that's the reality of education. Right. And you mentioned the now to a no example. So here's the thing. Now, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm almost at my forties. So I happen to be, you know, old enough to know when 90210 came out. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's part of my childhood. So, like, you know, I can remember, you know, Donna and Kelly and... Oh, my God, wow. And all of them. Like, I can remember watching on Fox when Fox just started. Like, I was in elementary school, but I remember the shows vividly, right? But that was part of my upbringing. Yeah. Now, with regard to just the test in general, and I don't want to dwell too much on it because there's so much more I want to talk about. Right. The importance of infusing 
the cultural context of the students mm -hmm. into those tests is so important. And, and that's something that's always lacking. Like, if you don't make the question such that it includes those characters, how do I connect to the content, right? hundred percent, a hundred percent. And you're, you're doing that in a room of like, you know, however many kids that all come from different cultural backgrounds, right? That it's like, that's something to really be aware of. That's super hard to do to, you know, address every single person in the class and make sure they all have that context. Right. And, and, and usually it, it always, you know, leans towards white dominant culture. hundred percent. Question. So if I haven't had the life experience to, you know, be exposed to what's being framed in this question, how can I access it? Where's my entry point so that oh. I can prove to you that I have the capacity to show you this math? Yes. You're okay. asking for. I'm pausing for one second. I know we're live. I know people are watching. I need to go tell the people outside the door to stop talking. We're going to just, just entertain them, like hum a song or something. I just, I feel like you can hear them. Can you guys hear this? Oh, I, I didn't even hear anybody. Oh, you didn't? Should I, should I, I haven't I heard you? anybody. Okay, uh, fine. I know, I know everyone is probably really loving this technical moment for us, but okay, I'll, I'll stay here. I'm not going anywhere. Let me know if it gets loud. Hey, but here's the thing though. Just like we frown upon perfectionism in math. Exactly. We definitely frown upon it here with podcasting. That's you know why what? I wanted people to know this is what we're dealing with. You know, some people are <laughs> talking. I'm telling, okay, just, just wait one second. Right. All right, no problem. Can you guys not talk? I'm so sorry. Or like talk somewhere else entirely. No, it's okay, it's okay. Okay, we're back, we're back, we're back, we're back. Okay, look, that was so quick. See, guys, that's how it's done. That's how it's done. <laughs> hey, that's that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. But but listen, uh, Vanessa, uh, wow, there's so much I want to talk about. And I think this is a perfect segue into our Show Your Work segment. So you know this as a math tutor. In order for students to show that they understand, really understand the concept you're teaching, there has to be some evidence showing them, showing you what they can do. So like over the years, I have constant students who come to me and they show me their work, but all I see is just the final answers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't see the thought process they went through. So, you know, that whole idea of, you know, procedural knowledge, right? Like, Show me the steps. How did you get to this point? Awesome. I'm not saying you should do it the way that I taught you, but I need to know how you're thinking about this concept. Mm -hmm. And a lot of students will say, but I got the answer already, Mr. Sarfamenta. What's the problem? The problem is not to say that you're cheating. I don't believe you're cheating, but as a teacher, if I'm going to give you the constructive feedback that you need in the event that the answer is incorrect, right? how can I trace back to see where you went wrong? Mm -hmm. Where did you make that computational error? So it's more so for me to be in the best position to give you the best feedback. So with this show your work segment for this podcast, this is about you showing your receipts, right? I love it. Because you're all about, you're all about creating math gurus when you tutor them. Mm -hmm. You're all about advocating for math and you have all the receipts to prove it. You're showing that work mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis. So that being said, 
I want to talk about math therapy. So you have a podcast that's of the same title, right? And I believe that our parents, our students, and even some of our teachers and colleagues we work with need math therapy. For sure. I mean, I give math therapy to teachers all the time. Like I do talks specifically for math teachers, for elementary teachers, especially. Oh yeah, math therapy is, it's for everyone. Right. So I want to know this. Why do you believe that, well, you already mentioned this already, but what does math therapy look like for parents, number one, but for teachers as well, who have that adversarial relationship with math? So math therapy is broken down. So on my podcast, it all started because I was, you know this, right? When you meet an adult and talk about math, they they don't just say something like, oh, I didn't really like math. They usually say something like, oh, oh my God. Oh. Like they're nice. literally about to throw up and they're like, oh my God, I hate math. Like, oh my God, I have this horrible experience. Or like, oh, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh my God, these people need like math therapy. They're like really going through it. So I started the podcast to just speak with adults about math trauma they've gone through and to, to actually like, you know, ew, I was going to say Dr. Phil, but like, I'm not a fan. So no, but like Oprah, maybe Oprah then, you know, like to be like, let's talk about it. Let's unpack it. Let's figure out how it's affected you. But as it started going on and on, I started realizing, you know, these are actual practical steps you can use in the classroom, you can use with a friend, you can use with a parent, you can use with a teacher to actually guide them through the process of recognizing what their math trauma is. You know, what is that thing that got you all twisted when it comes to math and to start unpacking it, reworking it so it no longer affects you. And I think the first thing to note about math therapy is you need to, along the the way, you know, if you're no longer a student in the classroom or a teacher who's teaching math, you need to understand what the stakes are if you don't unpack that trauma, right? A, a lot of adults will say, well, you know, I don't use math in real life anyway, so I'm past that. I, don't, I have a job that doesn't require math. I don't use it. Like, who cares? Why should I do this? And it's really important, you know, what I always say, you know, I've told you my mathography, and what I might not have mentioned is, when I say I had that light bulb moment, it's not that all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I'm a math genius. I need to go work at NASA. My moment was, oh my God, I've been taught a lie about what I'm capable of. And now that I've proved that lie wrong, what else am I capable of? And you know, my dreams of becoming a rock star, for example, I only started a band. So I'm in a band, in case you don't know. (laughs) I talk about it all the time, shameless plug. I'm in a band and I've been in a band for 10 years. Uh, We opened for Bon Jovi a few years ago. Like I'm legit, okay guys, I'm actually legit. But the point is I never would have done that if I hadn't had that moment of, wow, the limiting beliefs I developed around math are not necessary and they're untrue. What other limiting beliefs have I developed around other things in my life that I can also smash, that I can also prove as untrue? So the stakes are not about math necessarily. They're about um, ridding yourself of limiting beliefs that are, are preventing you from really taking risks in life that might lead to the rewards you seek. So like 
just that is the crux of math therapy. Like that's the point. The point isn't, oh, we're going to create math geniuses or you're going to get a 90 in math, right? The, the whole point is you're going to become a person who is going to believe you're capable of anything in the world, starting with math. Mm. Profound. And yes. um, quick Bon Jovi story. Had to throw that in there, guys, just to show off. Yes. Make you think I'm cool. Well, you know, um, it reminds me of a, I went to this PD conference years ago and we had a karaoke night. Ooh. And, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of white folks. Yeah. yeah. So I figured, so for me, I'm a karaoke fanatic. <gasps> What's your song? I have so many songs, but what I do is I actually um, look at the crowd and literally I have like, if it's like a, a crowd that's, you know, mostly white, whatever, like I have my my boy band bag, <laughs> I got my rock bag, whatever. So I figured, all right, let's do like a hype song that's going to get people crazy. So I said, we're going to do Bon Jovi. Living on a prayer. That's the that's the go-to. That's the best karaoke song. We're halfway there. Living on a prayer. Oh my god, it's so good. So good. That's yeah. Wow. I haven't done it in a while, but well, when we are eventually together in the same place, we'll go to karaoke together and we'll do a duet to it. I can do all the harmonies. Yes. Oh my god. Okay, I'm so excited. It definitely um it'll definitely strain your voice because he's literally screaming the whole time. It's so high. That's the thing. I have to do low harmonies. I'm actually more of an alto. So I, I can barely reach some of those notes. Like when right. they do the key change at the end, I'm screwed. Like I can't do the key change. I'm like, okay, forget yeah. it. But by the time we get to the end, he's like, living on a prayer. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That was good. That was good. Yeah. You should have all opened for Bon Jovi, not me. No. Well, you, you, you're actually uh, trained. You, <laughs> So I'm not even going to go that far. Well, that's my, my training, my training was simply my math teacher telling me I could do math. And then I was like, I guess I can also start a rock band. That's basically the cause and effect of the situation, to be honest. Uh, that That is so awesome. So, so staying on math therapy, right? I had a conversation with uh, Shraddha Shrude. Okay. All right. She, so she teaches ethnic studies in math. Um, here in um Seattle, so uh, oh, cool. northwest of the country, real real cool teacher, right? We were talking about this, like in order for students, math learners, to really build that confidence, everybody should have a numbers theory foundation. Hmm. We should we should be starting our math learning or journey, whatever you want to call it, with number theory. I don't know why we don't expose students to number theory as like a whole course mm. until we get to college. So like right. I didn't learn about number theory until college, but when I was going through the different um like the different units, like well we're we're talking about disability rules. I'm a junior in college. We're doing a a divisibility rules um lesson. We're doing like modulus lessons. We're doing cryptography like we're doing all these things that are that feel are foundational right to students understanding why we do certain things as far as the operations are concerned as far as fractions decimals yeah. are concerned 
I think it goes back to just understanding how numbers work. Yes. So yeah. I, I yeah. want to know your, what, what are your thoughts about that? So it's so funny. Like, as you were saying that, I was thinking, I, I like, I feel like I've moved to this weird place in teaching where, um, okay, let me backtrack. So I think we all have ideas of what's wrong with the curriculum, just blanket statement, right? Like we're all like, it should be done this way, that way, the other way. Sure. And it's so funny because I, so first of all, I completely agree with you, but as you were talking, I was like, wow, it's so funny how I have moved so far away almost from actual math when it comes to changing the curriculum. Like in my mind, I'm like, before even what you're saying, which we'll get to in a second, I'm like, I actually think the first thing that needs to be done is literally just growth mindset work. Like literally just socio-emotional work. Don't like, I don't even want to talk about actual math until kids have a foundation of, or an understanding of the stereotypes that they're facing, what's out there, what's true and not. And like, just do a brain wipe of, hey, get rid of the social context around math for a second. In my classroom, the math culture is everyone can do math. You know, that's like almost step one and we never do it. We don't even talk about it. I actually interviewed someone on my podcast you'll hear in the next season. And what she says is she spends time getting ready or students ready to learn. Like before they're even learning, get them ready to learn. What do, what limiting beliefs do they need to break about themselves? What do they need to know? So I would say that's like the first thing, but yes, number two, what exactly what you're saying, understanding how numbers work. I feel like we don't even do that. And it's like, everything builds on that. But I truly believe to be, because if you think about it, understanding how numbers work, it's simple and also like the most complicated thing ever. Like that's so crazy. Like imagine teaching someone how a number works. You have to be in like this Zen state where you are open-minded to just having your mind blown. Like as a little child, you have to be like, okay, hit me up. I know I can absorb what you're saying. I believe that I'm capable of it and I'm ready to have my mind blown. Without like that preemptive stuff, you're never gonna understand how a number works. But you're right, without understanding how numbers work, you're just putting it together as much as you can when someone tells you how to divide. You're just memorizing a few rules, trying to figure out the missing pieces, and that's that. Right, because I think true number sense is when you're able to not have to rely on the algorithm. Yeah. And you're utilizing your prior knowledge of how numbers work in order to get to that same destination that that algorithm would take you. Totally. But if you think about it, if you were, if you were curious enough, because I think that this is how I operate, if you're mm -hmm. curious enough and confident enough that curious, if you're curious and confident enough, you will get there on your own. Like, you'll be like, you know what, what am I even doing? Like, what is this? What, what is this? Like, what, what's happening with this quadratic formula? I'm going to try and figure it out. And you'll get yourself there. And that results in a, a more confident math learner, a more excited and less bored math learner, a more critically thinking math learner, a more productive math learner. But I would say that the curiosity and confidence gets squashed at like the age of six because you're not curious because you're told the only thing you should be doing is getting the right answer. You shouldn't be messing around with other stuff. And you're not confident because likely someone or society or some Hollywood movie has told you you're not smart enough to figure it out. Mm. I love how this conversation is going. So as you were talking, I was thinking about a term that um, my assistant principal from years ago told me when we were doing some PD, because you know how education is. We we go through 
these trends where we use certain terms yeah. that we sound super smart. Totally. It's something that's super basic. Like silo. I hate right. when people say silo. Now, here's a term. Maybe what is you're it? familiar with it. Maybe you're not. Productive Tell struggle. Oh, yeah. I've heard that one. Productive struggle, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or this idea of uh, versus learn helplessness. Yeah. So productive struggle basically is your ability to, um, in a nutshell, persevere through a math problem. So instead of just giving up immediately, you know, when you encounter the problem, you're pushing yourself to get through the problem and then get through to the answer, right? Yeah. Which which sounds really good. But then if you don't teach them how, then we're just perpetuating trauma. Bam, bam, bam. This is like, what's that Einstein quote about the fish and swimming and climbing a tree or something? I don't know that quote, <laughs> but that sounds super cool. <laughs> But yes, exactly what you said. A hundred percent. I love that. I actually, I need a moment to just digest it. I love that. You are, you're just perpetuating trauma. I feel like I can think of so many things in my life that are that way. It's like, you're using like the wrong screwdriver on a screw and like, you're just getting more and more frustrated, but you literally haven't been given the right tools. So like you feel incompetent, but it's actually just the, like you're using the wrong screwdriver. Right. I mean, <laughs> essentially, essentially, right. And, and I feel like people say, just productively struggle through the task. Just just keep pushing. But you have to model what that looks like. Exactly. You can't just give a child a task and say, all right, I'm going to give you uh, 20 minutes to get it completed and just let them go through their seasons of emotions in those 20 minutes, right? <laughs> Yeah. Like, that's not how that works. But I no. feel like that's how so many educators interpreted that. And then as a result, we're not providing students with the social emotional support that they need in order to feel more confident, in order to build their self-esteem as math learners. Oh, my God. Do you yeah. know what that reminds me of? Totally. Okay. You know that show? It's not like Survivor, but they, like, drop people off on an island and they're like fend for yourself last person standing wins do you know what i'm talking about yes it's like one of those reality shows yeah that's what it's like it's like it's like you drop a bunch of people off on a math island and you're like peace out we're just gonna film you but like we're not here to help you and some of them like literally almost die because they have no foraging skills like they don't know how to like build a shelter or whatever i, I i'm feeling this and then like one person like ends up winning but it's like because they grew up camping and stuff so they had all the skills of like living in the wild mm -hmm. exactly and and that's how i feel like we treat our math learners because we are misinterpreting these terms yeah it's sexy but we ourselves don't know how to do it so how can oh. we teach students how to productively struggle through a task when we ourselves are still navigating through our own traumas mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. math learners right Oh. And that just goes back to the um, the first question I was asking you about just math therapy. What does that look like for, for teachers? Because okay. there are teachers who are operating off of that. I'm so sorry because I never actually answered that question. I'm now realizing I talked about Bon Jovi. I talked about an Einstein quote I didn't know. I made a weird tool analogy and I never actually answered. So let me tell you what it looks like. 
Okay. Uh, I'll be quick. Good. We are good. I'm going to be quick. There's five steps. This is literally what it looks like. Okay. In All math right. therapy, the whole vibe is this. Okay. The first step in math therapy is just like setting the stage of the knowledge that math math trauma exists. There's no such thing as a math person. You have to like set a growth mindset vibe. So let's pretend I'm talking to a teacher who has math anxiety and they're just feeling all icky in the classroom and they're just not doing a good job, right? My first step for that teacher is they need to believe that they can change, right? So many teachers will say, I was just never good at math and now I have to teach it and I'm super stressed out and I want to model it for my kids and I don't know how and like, la, la, la. So first step is, do you know what growth mindset is? Do you realize that skills aren't fixed? You can get better at this. You probably have math trauma. We're going to get you feeling better. They need to buy into this idea. Step number two is let's figure out what that trauma is. Did you have a parent that yelled at you all the time? Maybe you grew up in a society where no one liked you was who looked like you was ever good at math and you have, that's your trauma, right? You're like, oh my God, like I'm not born to do this. Like I've never seen anyone like me do this before. Like there are so many ways Math trauma, I like to call it sneaky trauma, can happen. It doesn't have to be someone like hitting you over the head with a ruler. It can literally be like a parent saying, babe, you just don't have the math gene because I was never good at math. It could be that, right? Like, let's figure out what the thing is, right? Let's figure it out so that we can actually tackle the trauma and unpack it. Step number three is, okay, we realize that you can change. We realize now that you've had a math trauma and you can kind of say, wow, there was a point in my life where I kind of like developed this idea that I wasn't good at math. Step three is what I was talking about. What are the stakes? Why should you overcome this? Teacher might be like, well, the stakes are, I want to be better at my job. I want to help kids. Great. We've got the stakes. Number four is what is the story you've been telling yourself? How can we rewrite, rewrite that story? Now we look at the whole picture and we say, all right, this whole time I've been walking around saying, I'm just not as good at math as my peers. I'm going to make a mistake in front of kids and it's going to embarrass me. I was never good at math. It's so, whatever it is, write out that story so you can see it on a piece of paper. And now you're going to literally rewrite your narrative. You're not going to lie. You're not going to change any facts, but you're going to say what actually happened. Hey, you know what? I was taught from a young age that I was bad at math. It is not my fault. I never really had the chance to disprove that. I was, you know, never given resources or support. I had an undiagnosed learning disability, whatever it is, rewrite it. So the same facts are on paper, but you're reading it as an, the empowering story that it is, which is somehow you have still made it to this classroom to teach kids math. You've been given this gift, right? Like you've struggled. You can, you can totally empathize with your students. Final step is prove yourself right. You now believe you can change and get better. You've unpacked your trauma. You've rewritten this story. You're ready to step into those shoes. Now it's time to do the math. It is time to relearn a concept you thought you could never learn before and prove that you actually can learn it. It's time to make that mistake in front of your class that you were so scared to make and show your kids, hey, this is what making a mistake publicly looks like. Can you guys help me work through it? Can this be the greatest learning moment we have today? And that cycle just repeats over and over until you start getting more confident until you start stepping into that new narrative you wrote down and still you, you know, until you step into the best math teacher self you are because of your trauma, not in spite of it. The, okay. Sorry. That was a lot. <laughs> no, that, that was beautiful, man. <laughs> wow. Oh my God. I just snorted. Okay. Well, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> Listen. Ooh. So math therapy, math um, therapy. we listen, we, we need it. Even those who 
are pretty good at math, need math therapy from time to time. We need to know that, hey, we can get into a slump and get ourselves out of that slump and still be our best selves um, in the end. Well, I don't know if you know this story, but I was on this TV show called Canada's Smartest Person. Do you know about this? No. Probably not. So I was on the show. It's a game show. I'm, I would say I'm a, I'm good at math. This was a few years ago. I had so, so the, the, per, the whole point of the show is like to showcase different kinds of intelligence, which I already have a problem with because I hate categories, but I really wanted to be on the show. I was like, oh my God, a game show. So I'm going through each challenge and each challenge, someone gets kicked off. And finally we get to the math challenge and it's like a simple challenge. They set up the whole stage. Like we're at a grocery store. Each of us is a cashier. They're going to ask a simple math question. I'm so panicked and have so much math anxiety because I'm like, I'm going to mess up publicly. Like I'm on here as the math guru. And I did. The first question was you buy an apple from the cashier. The apple is $3 and you give the cashier $4. How much change should you give back? The answer is $1. I on national television in front of a hundred thousand people said two. That's right. And the host was like, the only person to get this wrong is the math guru. My parents were in the front row, like basically crying. It was like a crazy moment. I went, I was like panicked. I was sweating. The point is, even though, you know, people think that you only have math anxiety or math trauma if you're bad at math. It's a sign you're bad at it. Math. I'm here. That is so false. Math anxiety occurs for so many reasons. One of those being stereotype threat, which is you're so scared you're going to fulfill a stereotype about a gripe. Do you know about that? Uh, Claude Steele? Yeah, yeah, I think it was. I yeah, don't Claude remember. Claude Steele, yeah. Stereotype oh, threat, yep. Okay, wow, that's, I mean, now you're name dropping, but yes, yes. And, and so that was me. I was like, I'm on here as this person who's a woman of color who like no one thinks is good at math. I've got to like prove that this stereotype is wrong. And that caused so much stress and anxiety that I did get the question wrong. And like, that's what math therapy is for too. I would, you know, that's how it would help me personally is, you know, being good at math doesn't mean you always get the right answer. You know, for example, right? There's so much... There is so, the reason, and I'll, this is the last thing I'll say about this is there's so much pressure attached to math because even though we don't say it out loud, we have decided implicitly as a society that being good at math makes you smart. Full stop. Mm -hmm. Being good at painting doesn't make you smart. We never call a beautiful artist who paints this amazing thing. We never say they're intelligent. We say, wow, they're so talented. They're so creative. If someone's good at math, they are automatically labeled as smart, which is such BS because it's just math. But the problem is there's so much pressure attached to math because then the implicit statement is if you're bad at math, you're stupid and no one wants to be stupid. So it's like there's so much emotional baggage attached to math and that's why we all need math therapy. All right. I want to clarify something you were saying because okay. you were saying that you have an issue with the categorization of intelligence, right? Yes. But then in one instance, you have an issue when people say, oh, like, because they're not good at math, that automatically means that they're not intelligent or they're just not smart, right? So I don't know if you're familiar with um, Howard Gardner, multiple intelligence theory. Yeah. When you talk about the categorization, is that what you are challenging or? No, I think, I think, 
there's a few things like I personally really don't like binaries and care like categories specifically because I'm a musician and a mathematician and I always get these weird looks and it's always like oh my god like how are you creative and logical so mm -hmm. I don't like things like right brain left brain like creative and artsy versus logical and analytical because I just think you can be more than one thing so I don't like things that limit and on this particular game show like it's, I mean, it's not that dissimilar to what you're talking about, but it was very salient. Like they were like, this is the, the mathematically smart person. This is the linguistically smart person. Mm -hmm. And I just, th it's like, you can be multiple things. You're, you, we are a Venn diagram. We're not just one circle. So that's more what I mean. You like that? I did kudos, it. Kudos, you know, on that Venn diagram. Thank you. Our metaphor. Thank love you. it. Love it. Another snort. All right. <laughs> We two for two. All right. Um, so let's uh, shift gears. So you okay. mentioned the perception of uh, young women, um, particularly young women of color, right? Yeah. And I want to talk about the media for a second. Sure. So I want to know from you, how does the media uh, negatively influence the way that young women perceive their abilities as math learners? So we know that there is definitely sexism um, within the math space, but yet we have certain entertainers like in Hollywood who are like phenomenal. Like one person that comes to mind is uh, uh, Danica McKellar, right? She was a uh, Winnie on the Wonder Years. I cannot believe you actually know that. I should be doing trivia. <laughs> I know half of the stuff. <laughs> like who? Are, okay, yeah, but yes, yes, yes. But like just as an example, like. We, I grew up watching her as Winnie, and now she's like an award-winning mathematician, and she's, like you, advocating for math, especially when it comes to, you know, young women. So what, what are your thoughts about the media and how they shape that perception in a negative way about women? Oh, my God. Okay, I'm going to try to not ramble because I could go on about this forever. Right. So... Number one, my master's thesis was called Imagining a World Where Paris Hilton Loves Math. This is my area of expertise. I'm very big on this. And I'll tell you, just I'm going to just make it so easy. When is the last time you saw a movie where the cheerleader character was good at math? Can't think of, can't think of one. No, because the cheerleader is always this ditzy, unintelligent girl. Her nerdy friend tutors her in school, but she needs a makeover to get the guy. It's the same storyline even in 2022. Like, we're trying to change it a bit, but not really. That is one very simple example of how girls especially are not allowed to... I mean, I haven't even gotten to women of color yet, but let's just say women especially are not even allowed to bring their whole selves to the table when it comes to math. You can either be a cheerleader and be popular and have friends, or you can be good at math. Those are your options. Now, most math movies are a crazed white dude who is so smart and mathematical that they like can't hold down a relationship and are diagnosed with mental illness, and that's what makes them good at math. Like though, like, like Matt Russell Crowe, like a beautiful mind, like Russell Crowe. Exactly. Or like Matt Damon. <laughs> that's exactly it, right? Like it's like yeah. always this. So we have such a warped perception of what math intelligence looks like from the media. And I will even say, like, speaking of women in color and math, women of color and math, when Hidden Figures came out, for example, 
that is like when, you know, when we talk about it, people will say, but what about hidden figures? Yes, because it is the only movie you can literally think of where we're showing these amazing, intelligent women of color. And by the way, the storyline is that no one knows about them because we basically hid them away for so long. So like, it is amazing and so awesome. And I obviously have to shut, wait, have you seen Jingle Jangle? I will leave this. Oh, the movie, here. yes. Yeah, okay, I'm like, oh my God. So like, okay, but like, that's all we have. Like, it's like, we're really, like we are just starting, like Hollywood is just catching up with literally diversity in general. Math is like very low on the priority list. And the messages we are giving kids, especially young women is like, you gotta pick, you can't be both. And I think that's why I hate categories so much. It's like, stop telling people that in order to enjoy math, that they have to shed the rest of their identity. You know, like you don't like, if you ask someone to describe a mathematician, you're not going to get someone saying, I don't know, it's like somebody with like blonde hair who's super fun and happy and has lots of friends. No, you're going to hear someone be like a guy with a pocket protector. <laughs> I don't know, right? Like, you know. Oh, man. I look like a guy with a pocket protector, right? <laughs> I don't know, but like. Yeah. You know, we're not seeing multifaceted. That's it. Hollywood doesn't give us multifaceted characters. You know what a great example is? Did you watch The Circle on Netflix? I have not watched. Oh, The Circle? You know what? Um, is that the one with the women academia? No, The Circle. No, no, no. You're thinking of The Chair. The, the Chair. Circle, oh, yeah. The Circle is a reality show where it's yeah. a bunch of people who have to act like social media avatars. Basically, it's a reality show. You compete behind a screen and... Mm -hmm you catfish people. Point is, it was this big reality show over COVID and there was a woman named Tara Alicia on it who is an incredible, like she's a black woman, she's a math educator and she's a musician. So she's on the show kicking butt. Um, I have her on my podcast next season. Oh my God, you Ooh. should interview her, you would love her. But the point is, she was on the show. They never once mentioned her math skills. They were like, Tara Alicia, the, the musician, like here are her songs on Spotify. She's like, da, 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 da. They never mentioned the other side because they wanted to pick a trope. Hollywood loves a trope. You've got to fit into a box. They were like, Tara Alicia is going to be the musician. We can't make her the musician and the mathematician because that's too confusing. Do you know what I mean? It's like, they're constantly regenerating these tropes, refitting people into boxes. Okay, I, I said I wasn't going to ramble. I'm done. But I definitely get your point, how Hollywood likes to uh, maintain these stereotypical um, narratives. Yeah, it's right? like a... Bi exactly. There's always... Reality TV you see it the most, right? There's always like the feisty Latina and the like ditzy blonde girl. Like, it's like, okay, we get it. Like, stop. And yet that formula is still going strong in still 2022. It's, oh it's my just God. crazy. All it's, you have to do is watch the Bachelor franchise. And yes, that formula is still going strong. Yeah, I don't know how people can get into that. But that's that's another story. <laughs> yeah. um, last question. Let's talk about Math Hacks. So you, okay. have, you have a book series called Math Hacks. And... I want to know from you, um, what are some lessons that you want students and parents and maybe even teachers to take away from the series? Because yes. I know you have some real cool information in there. Okay. So I would say, honestly, that um, this is so funny because this is 
full circle, wink, wink, to what I was saying before about how unintended. <laughs> about how um, you know when I think about teaching young people math, like the book is for kids grade three to six. I, I think that one of the most important things in the book series and in general is getting students ready to learn math. So in each math hacks book, yes, there is most of the book, three quarters of the book is content. So it's, you know, long division and multiplication and number sense, but a quarter of the book is really what I consider the real math hacks, which are how to deal with feeling anxious how to study, how to get motivated, how to find, you know, the motivation to do your homework when you're really feeling down, how to give pep talks to yourself. I honestly think that's, you know, even there's like a whole section on breathing exercises and dealing with anxiety over a math test. So I would say that that is the most important information. And a lot of it we've talked about here together. Um, and I think that's, that's what I would love teachers and parents to take away from this most, you know, like in a moment of real struggle with your math class or your kids, when you're like, ah, like I just, they keep failing or they're not, you know, they're not understanding concepts as fast as I want them to. Taking some time out to say, I know I feel crunched for time and there's a lot of curriculum to cram in, but what time can I make to get my student or my kid ready to learn, not just math, but anything? How do I get them feeling confident? How do I get them feeling motivated and excited about taking a risk or raising their hand and asking a question when they don't understand something? So I think that for me is the most rewarding and important part of Math Hacks is we very rarely, I don't think ever, this is the first book that has that kind of content right alongside actual math content. And those two really need to go hand in hand. Yeah for sure incorporating that social emotional yeah lens in there for sure all right a bonus question ooh i want to talk about calculators for a second oh okay okay so growing up and maybe this was the same for you i had teachers who prided themselves off of not having to use a calculator to do computations mm. So mm -hmm. like, you know, doing everything mentally, um, telling you, hey, you are not allowed to use a calculator, you know, to do this test, right? Yeah. So of course, growing up that way, when I first became a math teacher, I was that same exact way. But then over time, my philosophy around calculators changed because I realized, mm -hmm. well, especially at the secondary level, we don't we we tend to shy away from manipulatives and and just those tools that we need to really support our learning and just um rely heavily on these algorithms and these complex formulas that just build off of each other mm. and if you don't have the foundation that we've been talking about over the past hour how can you really understand yeah how these formulas are derived how these algorithms are derived. So what I wanna know from you is, what are your thoughts on calculators? Are you the type that's like, listen, you're using a calculator to do this problem? Like, you're, you're not a real math person. How are you gonna oh! use a calculator to do that, right? I say that, yeah. <laughs> I, would, I never say that, but. No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being stupid, but yeah. No, 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 but but <laughs> I, think, I think we're very similar. I think I've been the same way. I like, I used to be like super judgy, especially because I personally really like mental math. So I used to be very judgy. I'd be like three plus four, you are not using a calculator. Now, 
I also have changed my philosophy. I think there's a time and a place for a calculator. That math teacher I told you about, Eva, she will use a calculator for three plus four anytime, especially if she's in the middle of a huge problem and doesn't want to, she will say, I don't want to use any of my bandwidth on a simple calculation. I'm trying to solve a way bigger problem here. And I actually really respect that. You, as humans, we have limited bandwidth. You know, it's like Bill Gates. He wears the same black shirt. He has like a thousand of them and just wears a black shirt every day so he doesn't have to waste any of his bandwidth on deciding what to wear in the mornings. True. I res yeah, I mean, I would never do that. But my point is, is that like with calculators, like you said, it is important to develop number sense. So at a young age, we shouldn't be relying on calculators. I completely think that. But I think it goes back to remembering what keep your eye on the prize what is the goal here if we are doing a test on the quadratic function in grade 10 i'm not testing your mental math skills so use a calculator that's not what the test is for right like my assessment needs to reach my goal my goal is i want to know if you know what the quadratic formula is so a calculator has nothing to do with that go ahead and use it now mm. on a one-on-one -on -one setting i will encourage kids to use mental math when I think they can do it just because I want them to feel that aha moment of being like, oh, I can do that in my head, but I will never shame someone for using a calculator. And I always try to make sure that, it, it, you know, my eye is on the prize. If it's, I think that's it. I really think that actually is what it is. Like make sure that the goal is being achieved and that's how I feel about it. Like everyone says, right? We have calculators on your phones. You have access to a calculator. So if my goal is for a student to solve a real world problem, I would happily let them use a calculator. If my goal was to get a student to really get to know their five times tables, I wouldn't let them use one. There you go. So there's a balance. I'm there's here. a balance. There's Definitely a balance. Nothing is black and white, right? Just like the categories, like nothing is this or that. You can be both. There's a time and a place for it. And... Just remember what your goals are as a teacher. Like, what are we there to do? Shaming a kid for anything in math class, I guarantee you is not any of our goals as educators. That definitely not. Although we, we do hear stories from time to time where there's some teachers who do it, but that's a very small. Very small. Um, and those teachers. Yeah, and those are the teachers causing math trauma that we are now here to therapize. <laughs> there it is, right? Ah, oh, Vanessa, this, this has been awesome. This has so been awesome. Fun. Um, to close us out, we're gonna do a quick lightning round. So I have a few quick hitter questions, and that should lead us to the end of this. So, uh, first question: favorite math concept to teach <gasps> or learn? Oh my god, definitely. Oh my god, that's so hard. It's between factoring and transforming a parabola. I love both of those. Awesome. Most difficult math concept to teach or learn. Ambiguous case of the sign law. That's a good choice. It's so annoying, but like cool, but like annoying. All right. Um, if you are reading a book currently, what what's the title of that? Oh my God. This is actually kind of embarrassing because I'm reading Jamie Lynn Spears' memoir. Oh, Britney Spears' sister. Okay. <laughs> but, but it's because Britney has been posting about all this beef she has with it. And I wanted to see for myself, like, what was in it. I was like, I need to know what her sister's saying. Mm, and I thought they were close, too. Oh, oh yeah. Things are not going well. All right. That's a shame. <laughs> um, If there's one celebrity other than Keanu Reeves that you could teach math to. Oh, my God. 
Who would that be? That is such a good question. If there's one celebrity I could teach math to. Okay, does it count? I want to say AOC. Is that weird? Yeah, that's not weird at all. You can use AOC. Yeah, right. like she's a celeb in my eyes. She is a celebrity. Oh my God. Or Olivia Rodrigo. Okay. One of the two. I feel like AOC probably knows more math than I do. Who knows? Who knows? We, yeah, who knows, right? <laughs> all right. Uh, give me three influential figures, dead or alive, you would invite to dinner. Lady Gaga, obviously. Yes. Oprah. I'm, I mean, obviously Keanu Reeves, but he's my date. So we're hosting the dinner. So he doesn't obviously count. <laughs> so the third person would be, I mean, there's so many people I've wanted. Oh my God, 100% Paris Hilton, actually. There we go, done. I just like really want to tell her that I wrote my whole thesis about her and she won't answer my emails. Wow. What's Paris Hilton doing these days? She has a cooking show on Netflix. And she, and well, her biggest thing is she got married and is just milking it and making so much money off it. She has a whole show about her wedding. Like she's, oh my God. It's like the Paris Hilton franchise is completely out of control, but like good for her, I guess. Like get that bread, but like, wow. So I, I've always wondered when she was doing that show with, uh, was it Nicole Richie? Yeah. Years ago, I always felt like she was just playing a character. Well, and she she's actually smarter than she presents herself like on a show like that. Well, have you? Oh my god! By the way, you know who I'd really invite to dinner? Anna Delvey. Have you watched Inventing Anna? Oh my god! That's oh you know I haven't had a chance to watch yet, but okay. I've been hearing about it. You need to watch it. Okay, but back to Paris. Did you watch? This is why I thought of it. Have you not watched her documentary? I have not watched the documentary. That's why. So um, the yeah. documentary came out a few months ago, maybe a year ago, and it was about that. It was about this, like, she was playing a character. Here's the real Paris, da-da-da-da-da. Like, it was actually kind of sad. It went into, like, this boarding school she'd been sent to and, like, the abuse she endured. Like, I got to tell you, I'm not convinced that – I'm not convinced about this character thing because, like, yeah, she's playing a character for sure a bit. Like, but I, I, I don't know. I just – I – I don't see it. Like, it's like, yes, I got the voice and the character or whatever, but here's my problem. She's still doing it. And I kind of am pissed off about it. It's like, if you're aware you're doing it and you're aware of the influence you have on women, why are you still playing that character then? Like, it's actually kind of irresponsible in my opinion. Wow, she's never going to come to dinner now. Now I'm like causing beef on the pod. scared her off. Because I remember it, so when she would do things like hot. That's so hot. That's yeah. so hot. <laughs> she's still doing, but she's still doing it. So it's like, oh gosh. At least, like, do, I don't know. I'm kind of like, with great power comes great responsibility, and I'm like, I, it's the same way I feel about Kim Kardashian. I'm like, look, mm -hmm. can you do something for women if you're gonna like be that famous and whatever, whatever? And people keep talking about how smart you are. Then please just like wear a shirt saying math is cool or something. Like, do something. I mean, she's been focusing on. You know, Kanye. being a lawyer and all that. I mean, that's a start. Okay, no, you know what? That's true. It's true. Sometimes I just feel like she says things that I feel are irresponsible, but I'm also being a bit judgy because I'm sure it's really hard to be that famous and be in the public eye all the time. I mean, you know who her husband is, but ex-husband ex at this point. <laughs> but I just started watching the Kanye documentary, by the way. Wow. Wow. Gosh, isn't it so awesome? It's just incredible. It's completely changed 
how like I just can't believe he literally worked his way from the bottom like it is incredible I'm, I'm only halfway through but like even the first episode I was like I did not know any of this and I mean as someone who was a fan of his like when he first came out during yeah. my college years early 2000s like I bought college dropout like I bought pretty much his, wow. first, his first four or five albums and then you know when his mom passed and he started to change I kind of fell out of love, you know, for him because mm. it was just like hard to watch. Yeah. But watching that documentary really reinvigorated, you know, just the the respect and love that I have for him. And and it really reminded me of why I became a fan of his in the first place. Totally. Just his grind, his energy, his his authenticity. Yeah. You know, I always use him, like I do a talk about failure for students and I always talk about Kanye, not just because he like was rejected so much, but even now you can say what you want about Kanye, but like he's out there making mistakes publicly almost every day and often apologizing for them and saying, look, like there's a lot going on. There are mental health struggles I'm going through and he's, he's very public and authentic about it. So I would say that is like, that is something that I'm always impressed by, regardless. I mean, listen, I don't I don't always agree with everything that he does. No. But one thing about him is he's a polarizing figure and he's setting trends. He's really setting trends. We talk about fashion, we talk about hip hop, we talk about just culture in general. So you gotta give, you know, the man respect when respect is due. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yes. Yes. Yes, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens when I get really famous because I'm really judge celebrities. Like, I'm always like, oh, that's irresponsible. They need to do this. So, like, let's see if I practice what I preach when I become a famous celebrity. Keep me in check. You know what? Like, come at me in two years and be like, Vanessa, you were giving Kim a hard time and look at you now. I'm, I will be held accountable. There you go. Bye. <laughs> and this is, this is all on record. So, okay. <laughs> You can always come back to this if you, you do go astray. <laughs> I'm really glad we did this podcast just for yeah. this record. <laughs> but man, Vanessa, man, we could talk for hours, but thank you so much for coming on. Um, this has been awesome. Um, you know, I've had a lot of great um conversations with many people on both podcasts, and I have to say that this <gasps> this definitely has to be a top 10 for me. Am I your favorite? Oh. Uh, I can't, I can't, I can't go that far. I will say top 10. Okay, fine. Out of 120 plus oh. guests I've had. Okay, I was going to say, what's the sample size? 120? Okay, top 10, top 10. So, you know, this is, so this podcast is young, but on the flagship podcast, I've interviewed about 120 educators and just people in general. And like, this has been probably, definitely been one of the most entertaining. <gasps> okay, that's. I've had. Honestly, the biggest compliment you could give me, I aim to entertain. So like, great. Yeah. Thank you. So I hope everyone else is as entertained as we have been with each other. And you learn something in the process. Most importantly, you were entertained and you learned something. Yes. Yes. Educational and entertaining like any good math class should be. There it is. All right. Let's close it out with letting people know how they can connect with the math guru, the studio, and, and all the stuff you're doing. Okay. Find me at the math guru, literally everywhere. Themathguru.com. Most, no, that's a lot. Oh my, that's not even my website. Themathguru.ca. 
at the math guru on social media and I prefer Instagram more than Twitter. And most importantly, listen to my band. It's called Goodnight Sunrise. Make sure when you're looking up Goodnight Sunrise on Apple or Spotify or whatever, you look for the Goodnight Sunrise with my face in it. There is an old band from Montana called Goodnight Sunrise that no longer exists, but sometimes they come up. That's not us. Stream our single on repeat, get us those streams and keep on rocking, you know, in the kind of free world. All right, hope y'all don't get no lawsuit nothing. If there's another <laughs> band called Goodnight Sunrise, you know. You know how this goes, right? They're gone. Like they no longer even exist, but they keep coming up in All your right. search. Good All night, right. Sunrise, everyone. Check us out. All right, just looking out. Make sure y'all check out the rock band. Make sure y'all go ahead and buy um books from the um math hack series. Yep. Math hack. Listen to the podcast. It's called Math Therapy. Math you can Therapy. Any podcast player you use, Math Therapy. All right. There it is, y'all. So thank you, Vanessa. We're definitely gonna have to do this again. Yes. Somewhere along the, the line. And um, I'm wishing you a good rest of the day. This has been okay. awesome. Okay, you too. Thanks for having me. Can't wait to karaoke soon. All right. All right, bye-bye. Bye. All right, people. There we have it. Um, we're about to end a phenomenal um episode of Radical Math Talk. Uh, and as always. I wish you all good morning, good afternoon, good night, wherever you are in the world. And we're going to do this again another time. Peace out, everybody. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Radical Math Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, and all other streaming platforms. We are always striving to provide you with quality content. So if you love what you heard today, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And to check out the video episodes of the podcast, you can visit our website at identitytalk for numeral 4 educatorscom I'll say it one more time. identitytalk for educatorscom Thank you and have a great day.